Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Today's topic is why the power of God gives you power to die. Actually, today we're going to share with you uh, a number of excerpts from a podcast I did with the Canadian Church Leaders Network a while ago. We ended up talking about a wide range of topics from a variety of unique angles. In fact, it was so unique that we felt it was worth sharing a few excerpts from th- in this podcast with you. I'll talk about, you'll hear me talk about advice to young pastors, how pain uh, is such a, a, a valuable catalyst for transformation, and it was for us at EH Discipleship, why we must draw from multiple streams of Christianity in the global historic church, and then how we got, and then within our whole charismatic Pentecostal stream, which has been my background, how God's purpose in pouring out the power of the Spirit on us uh, really is granted to us so we have power to die, which is the very title of this podcast. So to learn more about the critical importance of drawing from multiple streams in the global church, let me invite you to download our ebook on church history called Discover the Past to Shape the Future at EmotionallyHealthy.org slash church history. You can hear this podcast in its entirety at the Canadian Church Leaders Network website. I hope you enjoy this. I know I sure did enjoy the interview. Blessings. Uh, Pete, it is really special to have this time with you. Thanks for making yourself available to have this conversation. Thank you. Good to be here. You are just saying before we hit record, you start a ministry when you're 19, preach when you're 19, and we're over, is it, was that, four, are we four decades in now? How many, how long are we in now? I'm 65, so that's 46 years. It's amazing. That's a it's long amazing. time. We've got a ton of people listening who are on, in the first decade, some yeah. in the second decade of ministry. You're thinking about like 19 year old you, and you could go and grab hold of them and say, listen to me, buddy, <laughs> this is the things you need to know now. Yeah. What are some of the things that you most would want to communicate? Well, let me begin by saying I'm 65 and I do feel like I am growing uh, and flourishing as much as when I was 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am. It's interesting. I'm I'm doing Romans right now in my morning prayer and this kind of gets extended. I, I just can't believe how much I'm like getting out of scripture. I said, I feel like a baby Christian mm. all over again. And, and I'm just like, so I, I feel tremendous spiritually. So I want to say that I'm in my, you know, it's been 46 years, but, um, uh, you know, I just, I'm grateful for Jesus mm. love for me. Uh, and it's true. It's all true. So all I can say is it just gets better with time. Oh, I love uh, hearing that because sometimes it's not, that's not the trajectory, right? I mean, especially if you've, as you've experienced seasons of, it doesn't always feel up and to the right in that space. And so it's just so compelling to hear. I don't know. I just, that's really touching yeah. for me to well, hear. Well, let me just say, you have to go down into the left. Okay. Um, that's part of pastoring. So I think if I could say anything to you as 19 year old self, and is that it's, you need to understand that God loves you so much that he's going to take you through walls and dark nights of the soul. Um, you're going to be betrayed. Uh, you're going to be uh, misunderstood, just like Jesus. In other words, mm. you're going to follow the path of Jesus. So 
uh, up and to the right, I don't even know what that means from a biblical perspective. That's a very Western perspective. But if you think you're going to be in the season of springtime and growing and moving up to the right, that's that's just not biblical. Biblical, mm. you know, growth is seasonal. There's summers, there's winters, there's falls, there's springs. So you have to have these down seasons of winters. Uh, so I would prepare you, say you're 19, listen, you got to look at the long view. First of all, you got to look at the eternal view. God chose you before the universe was ever created. Okay, just imagine this. He's had you in mind. And then he he chose you by name. He called you. He justified you. He uh, And he's going to glorify you. God's got this enormous plan through eternity that with your name on it, and he has something for you to do here on earth in this short earthly life. you got to see the big span of God's love for you that will just never fail, never let you go. Nothing's going to really separate you from God's love for you. And so you're pastoring a church, a local church, mm. which is the most important work on the face of the earth is to lead a community in the name of Jesus as salt and light. But it's incredibly challenging. I mean, it's like, it's impossible apart from the grace of God. And, and so, um, I just, I, I have to understand like you're doing something which is incredibly challenging mm. and, and, uh, but the most important work you could be doing as a, mm. you know, as a follower of Jesus. Pete, I've read a number of your books, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Church, and so much of what you describe flows out of your own journey of planting new life with Jerry. And so can you take us into just your story a little bit? I'd love to hear about the planting journey and, and you know, and, and the growth of it and what that growth yeah. did to you and Jerry and the team that you were leading. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we came to Christ at 19 and we're involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Parachurch. Uh, camp planting Christian fellowships, eventually ended up in seminary and planting a church in New York City. So my formation was, I would consider classic evangelical in terms of, it was it was very good on so many levels in terms of Bible study, prayer, evangelism. It was so good, but it was very over-focused on doing, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and that was the culture. And so I, I was going always very hard. And I really, my I, I always thought my primary gift was evangelism. I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's apostolic, you know, break new ground. And so I started planning a church in New York and we planted other churches. Uh, and it was very clear within, you know, four or five years, this was unsustainable. Hmm. Um, and my inner life could not sustain what I was doing. So the cracks were everywhere. And yeah, what were some that, of those cracks? What were you seeing? Well, I got a number of cracks. I mean, first of all, my marriage wasn't going well. That was for crack number one. But I was exhausted and tired, and I was not enjoying Jesus any longer because mm. I, I was working so hard. Um, and uh, we were recycling a lot of the same old problems in church. People were not changing very deeply, and I was like, "Something's really wrong here." Um, so there was a so the church pastoring was really hard because, as my wife likes to call it, there's a lot of stupid suffering. There's there's clean pain and dirty pain. We had a lot of dirty pain, um, and that was just. We were just not equipped to lead a community well because we had gaps in our own discipleship. And so we were in our, at that point, early 30s. Um, and understand at that point, I remember looking around and we were, again, we were in the Queens, New York City. So multiracial environment, multicultural environment, among the working class, lots of poor. It was a difficult environment. So I was, I saw bodies of pastors everywhere. I was like, people weren't mm -hmm. making it. I'm like... Lord, it's not going to be me, you know? And um, 
you know, I'm the kind of guy that just, you know, I could take a lot of pain. Uh, but I was fortunate because my wife quit and uh, that her quitting the church saved my life because it got me to therapy. I would mm. never have gone otherwise. So if I'd married a different woman, probably that wasn't strong enough to say, I'm not doing this anymore. I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Mm. Uh, so, uh, cause I, I really do feel like I was not equipped to lead a local congregation. Um, not well. I was not equipped properly. I was. It was very. It was a very academic education. It was very skill based. It was knowledge based, but it was lacking so much um, richness of formation that um, it was not sustainable. Like I say, it wasn't sustainable. So I would. That's why my work is like. Oh my gosh! Like we got to draw from the global church. We got to draw from historical theology. We got to draw from the Orthodox and uh, Roman Catholic streams. Uh, while remaining missional. But mm. if we're going to do serious formation of pastors and leaders, we have got to get outside of reformed evangelicalism, charismatic church, Pentecostal church theology that can be very narrow. Although, you know, I'm a, I would consider myself an orthodox, you know, Christian in terms of my stream is evangelicalism, not the political stream, but the in, ter in terms of theologically. The terms um, are complicated. These They days. are complicated, but... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, very committed to scripture, but uh, it, it take to lead. You, you've got to invest a great deal of time in your formation and seminary. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in seminary. It's all it's helpful, but it's only a small piece. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to be a lifelong learner on a journey mm -hmm. uh, for your formation. So I'm still growing at 60, you know, 65. I'm growing and God's ever moving by the spirit. Right. And so I'm always flowing. And it's not like, oh, that was bad that season and now this is good. No, it's that was then and this is now. And so you got to be open to moving with the spirit of God and changing with him as he's unfolding his plan through history. And I think that's and for our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why being a learner, being curious is so, so critical. Hmm. The language you use in your work and others have used as well speaks this idea of an emotionally healthy spirituality. Mm -hmm. And can you bring some definition to that? Yeah, so I would say that the 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 intersection of what I think I'm bringing to the table into the discussion of leadership development, spiritual formation, discipleship is the contribution of uh, that emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated. <clears throat> uh, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. That whole self awareness of what's going on on the inside of me, and the whole emotional component, family of origin, material, going back three, four generations. Things like limits, loving well as a criteria for the measurement of your love for God, all that emotional world, which we can define in just a moment. And then it's also the second contribution is monastic spirituality, mm. going back to the Desert Fathers, that my work out of a local church has been translating these two things mm. practically into a local congregation. That's been my life work. Um, and so I'm not an academician. I'm not, you know, I'm a pastor of a local church. I went and got my doctor of ministry in marriage and family because mm -hmm. I wanted to get the riches of that whole field uh, and then integrate it into formation of leadership. So that's the whole emotional component. So, I thought, so you know, Jer and Jerry's, a, my wife is a research and developer too. So we both have this kind of a thing or, of, of learning. So just, mm -hmm. you know, like here, we've been influenced by so many streams Quakers, interpersonal neurobiology, family systems is my doctorate, monastic spirituality, historical theology, global church history, 
missions. Yeah, we, we just got I mean, we did a lot of streams mm. um, that we've integrated into who we are and brought and basically over decades working them out in a local multiracial church that was missional in the middle of Queens. And so I think we're like, you know, uh, so I write, I write out of my journey because that's, I was doing the, I was doing theology in context. Like Jason, mm. you're pastoring in Vancouver. You're doing theology in context. I think your Canadian context, you're in you know, yeah. West Canada, which is different than, you know, East Canada, Toronto. It's just a different culture. And so you're in a sense, nuancing and pioneering how do I do mission theologically? It's much like Paul, as he went in the empire, he was doing theology in Corinth and Galatia, and he it was it was in context mm. uh, as it was on as the mission was unfolding. So I think that's that is the way to do theology in context. So you know, so now because now my context you know is global. Like I was on a phone last week with two Orthodox Coptic mm. priests, young young in their you know probably early forties, late thirties. And, uh, you know, this talking about this guy, Father Lazarus, who lives in the cave of St. Anthony and outside Cairo, and just talking about nuances of their theology and how it intersects with emotionally healthy discipleship. And it was fascinating, you know, mm. fascinating as their parishioners push back against them talking about emotionally healthy discipleship and saying, why are you bringing in this Protestant into our Orthodox church? Right. We go, we go back 2000 years. You know, those people are heretics. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's fascinating. So I, I love that about your work, by the way. It's just, it's this, um, and I think it's a deep value for this whole, for this podcast and for the kind of community we're building is this like learning from various streams, like celebrating, hey, I'm part of a stream. Like those Orthodox yes. priests are not going to pretend they're Protestant. The Protestants don't yes. pretend that, and you know, you're rooted in a place and also, you know, community, but you're yeah. drawing from these different streams. And then I think there's these binaries that are created like, one that I've been thinking a lot about is like a binary, like charismatic and contemplative, yeah. but it's like, it's like, that's a, and that's what I see in your ministry that I just love is like, you don't have to leave out the charismatic to pursue the yeah. contemplative. In fact, there might be a marriage or an interaction. Yeah. Where did that start for you? Pete? We'll come back. I won't forget to come back to the emotional health, spiritual maturity yeah. conversation, but where did that start for you? This idea, like I can draw from multiple streams in my formation and my outworking of this theological grid. Well, I think what happened was I, I ended up, you know, and I mentioned earlier in 1996, when in 1994, when I was in so much pain, pain is a great you know, way to God gets our attention. So we were about six, you know, six, seven years into the church plant. We planted four churches. I'm pastoring one of them. I'm pastoring just to get a sense of how, how much pathology I have, Jason. Okay. I'm pastoring one church in two languages. All right. So, and planting other churches at the same time. So I was, I was out of control. And at that point we had three daughters. A fourth was on the way. And Jerry felt like a single mom. And when one of our congregations that we planted had a split, I was in enormous pain. I was just like, like my marriage wasn't going well. We loved each other. We had a friendship for eight years before we kind of came to before we got married. But things were not going well. We had problems, uh, but we loved each other, and we were trying to serve Jesus and seek first His kingdom. And things were everything was not being added on to us. So all that pain led to me finally going to a therapist's office, which. So I was not that open to learning from other people. I would consider myself kind of, we were we were like charismatic slash Pentecostal. We would be going to Toronto for those meetings and when the revival broke out there, we, you know, Kansas City Prophets, Vineyard. I went to Princeton Seminary, Gordon Conwell. So I had a pretty broad education into varsity staff for three years. So we had a kind of, you know, we had a kind of a broadness to us, but it was still very narrow, mm. still very narrow. 
Um, because I would have seen going to a therapist was for really screwed up people. But I was in enough pain. I went to a therapist's office and now he's saying, how do you feel? And I'm like, what do I know how I feel? You know, I don't do feelings. That's for wimps. You know, I do the word, I do prayer, I do scripture, you know, I do we plant in churches. So um, that was that was how everything opened up for me, Jason, because I became disillusioned, first of all, with evangelicalism as I knew it. I did. I, I, I was like, this is something's really wrong here. Something's really wrong because the kind of people that we were producing in our church in terms of disciples I didn't even want to be around some of these people and I led them to Christ. Okay. I'm like, I'm like, something's wrong here because they're not changing very much. It's shallow. And I saw the shallowness and I said, this is, this is not good. And, and it was interesting because we were in a poorer area. Uh, you know, I, I meet Christians I'm like, they're, they're, no, they're going to live in a nice suburb to put their kids in a good school. And understand at the time we were living next to prostitutes and drug dealers, and you know we were really in a tough spot. And I heard people say, "I'm not going there. I'm gonna I'm gonna serve Jesus, but I'm gonna serve Jesus on my own terms. I'm gonna." And I'll be like, "Well, wait a second, wait wait a second. But I just realized American Christianity. Or I don't. I can't. I'm not gonna speak for Canada. North American Christianity, well, at least United States Christianity, is like the McMansions. You can have everything. You fit Jesus in beautifully, and racism just goes on because no one's changing that deeply anyway." And that's why, I, if I can be so bold, the reason the church can be co-opted by a political party is because it has no depth. And so we just get the fact that a church aligns with any political party, you know, has always been a disaster for 2000 years of church history. So this is nothing new. It's happened before. And uh, but it's a it's a it's a symptom of something so deep of shallowness. And I saw it and I was like, because we were trying to bridge. We had. African-Americans, Latinos, Asians, all in the same room. And I could see that this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And it wasn't working initially because the level of formation was so shallow. And so that is when I realized, and then then I got my own problem. So all that, going into that therapist's office was like a shock because my marriage wasn't going well. So Jerry was forcing the issue. And then it just opened me up like, oh my gosh, I am dead emotionally. And then, I, then my family of origin stuff was all very apparent to me. And it just launched me on a journey that that's when I realized that, okay, what I've been taught in seminary and in my formation so far has been missing some really big elements. Mm. And that's what launched us on this huge journey that we've been on for over 26 years now. Mm. To capture the, what are those missing components? One of the things that I'd love just to help you to help me with is... I um, think like you, um, really impacted by movements of Pentecostalism and Vineyard and Signs and Wonders. I yeah. love inviting people to prayer ministry because yeah. sometimes God heals people or there's Absolutely. tears and breakthrough. Um, and I think one of the things I noticed in me was a resistance to the language of formation, the deeper work, because somehow I thought maybe it revealed like a lack of faith in the potential for God's breakthrough. Because when you believe that God can do the zap transformation um, and you want, and, and he does. And so it's like this, I've been thinking about the language of breakthrough and process, like this deep churning over time, the slow transformation mm-hmm. that is spiritual formation that you've described. And what we've all talked about this breakthrough. And I just wonder like, how how have you found language really um, good. To, to marry 
because they're both at work. And that is probably a robust, I bet a spiritual formation without breakthrough, like radical supernatural intervention would be broken as well. And so I'd love to hear how you've sort of built frameworks for that. Jason, I'm going to give you something to think about. You may not like it, but you, hopefully you'll think about it. Okay. So, there. so, uh, you know, the meetings where the spirit of God falls and, you know, prayer ministry, you know, just, you know, with another baptism of the spirit, you're knocked down and I've been knocked down good and solid, you know, probably three, four times on the floor. I mean, I, I have been in meetings where the glory of God was tangible. I mean, just mm. unbelievable. And there are, and so you can easily just seek these, you know, healings and miracles and, 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 and I'm, I'm all for it. There's a place for it. Absolutely. But there is no, all that's, that's giving you power and energy by the Holy Spirit to die. There is no substitute to taking up your cross, being crucified, and following the person of Jesus mm. to the cross and dying so you can be resurrected. There is no skipping over that. So you want to go to a revival meeting, great, it's going to give you, it's going to give you the energy, God's going to touch you, but you're not going to skip over mm. getting crucified because Jesus was crucified. And there is no other way that God's going to be able to change you unless he pulls out of you those deep weeds. There's mm. deep pride, deep self-will, deep greed, deep envy, all that stuff. God's got to get at you because he loves you so much. He's got to, all those false layers got to come off you. So people want the anointing to reinforce their false self and do ministry that way so they feel good about themselves and get validation. That's a disaster. So I'm saying is go, I'm all, I'm so happy you got, you, you know, you got, you spent some floor time, absolutely wonderful, but I know enough to know that you still have to die and you're mm -hmm. going to have to make the difficult choice. We've got to fill the house up. We can cast the demons out of you. Yeah. And I've cast many, this, I, I, there was a season we were casting demons out of tons of people. I mean, we had a major deliverance minister going on and then I realized, mm -hmm. oh, we're, we're, they're, they're not changing either. They changed temporarily. And then I'm right back to where we started. And I realized, what? well, because I, I, their house has to be filled up. That's a mm -hmm. lot of work. That's, that's Jesus and the 12 discipleship. Oh, and I don't want to, it's too much. I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, seven more will come back. It's going to be worse. And I, I, again, I'm a little older than probably most of your listeners. And I'm just telling you, there's no shortcut. Jesus didn't do a shortcut with the 12. Think about it. What makes you think you can get a shortcut? So yeah, they had the Mount of Transfiguration, but they also had to lose everything end up on the bottom and fail and be a mess. I mean, it's just, there is a journey that God has for you and for me. But if you're going to be formed as a pastor, leader of a church, he has to take you through great suffering because he loves mm -hmm. you too much to leave you the way you are. Again, I, I, I ended up taking the approach, Jason, I got so tired of actually deliverance stuff because I have no problems with throwing a demon out of someone, but you know, it gets very messy. You know, it wants a deliverance ministry. And I just like, I know, let's fill up the house and then demons have, you, you, demons have nowhere to go. They get basically get pushed out. You have, mm -hmm. And Wimber talked about this at one point in a, in, a, in a meeting was like, oh yeah, you can, goes, no matter how you cut it, you can drive the demon out, you got to fill up the house or you can fill up the house and the demons have no more room to be there. I decided I was tired of public displays mm -hmm. in meetings. 
I got really tired after a while. And, and I, you will too. I'm just letting you know. You can only live off that for so long. By the second, third decade, you're like, this is not producing the fruit I'm looking Especially if you're a local church pastor, because you know what's going on then. You're like, you're, you're looking, you're building a community, which is mm. really hard. And you're seeing people over, you know, not just weeks, you're seeing people over years mm. in all the transitions of life, funerals and deaths and difficulties and, you know, dead children, you know, I mean, all the pain of life. And you get to walk with them, which are all formational moments. And you can do tremendous formation with people as a local church pastor, but it's, it's labor. Paul called it labor. Think of labor of a woman giving birth. But it's so, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. The gift of mm -hmm. discipling and forming people. It's a great privilege. Thank you so much um, for sharing that. You made a statement earlier, um, and this is like one of the core premises of your work is spiritual maturity and emotional health. They're not yeah. two separate categories. They have to be married. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, I, I I know people who are into the contemplative and and you know silence, stillness, and all that, but they're emotionally maladjusted, and uh, you know they're infants emotionally, and there are people really into emotional stuff. They go to twelve step groups, they go to therapy, but they don't have a deep walk with God. We're looking to marry them both. So when I talk mm -hmm. about emotional health, I'm I'm referring to that when people are with you, they experience you as safe approachable, non-defensive, not easily triggered. Um, the most loving person on the face of the earth, like Jesus. Uh, and so, therefore, you've done a lot. You're, you're very self-aware of what's going on inside of you. Uh, your losses, your griefs, you've integrated them into your life. You're, you've done work on your family of origin and the negative legacies and how they've impacted who you are. Um, you're, you've integrated a theology of limits, uh, brokenness, vulnerability. I mean, these, these is, you, you've, you've done this, you're, you're, you're on that journey. That's why to me, I, if I had a seminary, I'd require people to be in therapy as part of their seminary education. Um, and I'd require them to be like in a monastic, they'd be like novices doing offices, you know, three times a day and having a rule of life. And it would be a combination of monastic spirituality with, um, you know, the whole emotional, like you'd be doing therapy. So I, if you're a pastor and you've not done some, a serious round of counseling, um, that's a problem because you're supposed to be the most differ, highly differentiated person in this church family. You're, you're the most mature person, hopefully, in the family, which means you've done a lot of work. But here you are, you're leading a church and people are coming in with all their stuff from their families of origin. And you're now building the new family of Jesus, but you're not even aware of your own family, and how it's in, interacting, how it's impacted you. And yet you're leading all these other families. Do you understand? It's not, you're just recycling the same old stuff because you can't bring people where you've not gone. Mm. You, you, so, so that's why we say the most important thing is your being, B-E-I-N-G, that it's your being that's so critical. And if we, if you let Jesus change your being, your whole church will change. Don't worry mm. about strategy. Don't worry about the, you know, how do we do this? And go, don't worry, it'll, it'll, it'll work out. That's not mm. the most important thing. The most important thing is you. Thank you.